0: The following audio is from the King's Chapel. You can find out more about our church at thekingschapel.org. Well, as as the uh, young people, shall we say, as the children go out, just want to bring to your remembrance uh, three words, ask, admire, admit. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel, the good news, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he does that through you and I, through divine coincidences, through wondrous moments of revelation where we're with someone and the door just opens up. We ask them some questions. We admire something about them because everyone needs someone to love them. And then finally we admit that we have our own set of problems and Christ was the one who cleansed us and made us whole, in whatever way we want to say that. I find that if I just say, I'm crazy apart from Jesus, or words to that effect, I have, uh, it, 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 people stop. They listen, and all the defenses come down. I don't know how you do it. I, uh, I'll be in a nurse pra- with a nurse practitioner or with a workman at my place. I said, apart from Jesus, I come apart. Apart from Jesus, I come apart, and they listen, because I'm not trying to attack them. I'm not trying to put them down. But I must tell you, I'm going to get choked up. This is this is ridiculous. I know that. Thanks for putting up with me. He is so wondrously good to all of us, and he's going to use you and I for his purposes. When I was a young man, I was, uh, you know... Off at college, and you'll remember my story. I came to Christ through a providence. The guy walks out of the building as I'm going into my dorm for the first time. This little kind of dumpy guy comes out of the building. And as far as I know, he was the only noted born-again Christian in that set of dormitories. I mean, it was just like bizarre coincidence. I was a total atheist. And the first guy I see, the first one who helps me take my my bags into, into the um a dorm, was a born-again Christian. I mean, just that, what are the odds on that? And where I'm going is God had a plan and purpose for my life, there was a divine moment even in that. That guy was respected all over the the campus. This tiny little man, five foot six, overweight, looking a little out of shape, was the um, ACC most valuable baseball player. Uh, just an incredible athlete and 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 the long story was he was part of a fraternity more of a social fraternity social function But he he invited me to uh, come to things with him and a long story short his life Was part of transforming mine. He had problems. He had his temper. He was ultimately competitive in everything but there was something about him, an ambiance, an aura in the best sense of that, not in the worst occultic kind of sense. There was something about him that reflected the life of Jesus. And we'd go to a fraternity party uh, after I came to Christ. And at that time, some of you are old enough to remember this. There were, he was wearing white vinyl shoes. Oh my gosh. That is an offense on every level just to start. And the guys are there with trash cans drinking grain punch. Certain to make most of you blind if you even came within five feet of this stuff. He would never touch a drop. It was just his thing. He would not touch it. He was not only an athlete. He believed in living a self-controlled life, a, a God-controlled life. And it was just a beautiful thing. And all the guys were rough and crazy and party animals and just all, almost all of them in the place beyond belief. Your beautiful children go off to college and they quickly disciple them in how to be a party animal. Well, two of the guys in that room that knew Robin, my friend. I knew that I'd come to Jesus at this point. Um, uh, went to, I think it was Mardi Gras. And uh, that did something to them, I don't know what. I never heard that part of the story. All I know is on the way back, and I won't have this all correct, so Jim and Jim, if, you, if I get it wrong, please forgive me, but they talked to one of the boy's moms, Mrs. Breckenridge. Probably they stopped at her house on the way back home after um, living in a a certain, we'll we'll say, a a, a free uh, way. And they come back to her and she is just so friendly to them. You see, fire here is a reminder to us about creating friendships, God helping us to love people. Who we haven't even met, who we don't even know. And Mrs. Breckenridge is there. One of the boys is her son Jim, but the other one is a guy named Jim McGraw. And and she's talking to them and loving on them and using her winsomeness and her friendship to lead them to talk about their interests, what they like to do, what they're apart. Maybe they talked about their trip. Holy smoke. I wouldn't want to hear about that one. But at any rate, friendship. Then interests. Then somehow, in a Holy Spirit-led way, she she talked about a little about what had happened in her life. We call it religion. It's really a relationship with Christ and how He had transformed her. He had brought her from death to life. He did such a wonderful things. He had so filled her with Himself that joy emanated out of her, apparently, or a certain form of friendly fire. Friendship, interest, religion, then encounter. She had the guts to say, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Has he come into your heart and life and forgiven you your sins and given you life eternal and beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness? Has he done that in your life, boys? And there were three boys, now that I remember, another fraternity brother was there and he, he, he showed her the hand basically. I hope that's not still his case because there were guys in my, my fraternity house became filled with Christians over a period of years because there was something so transformative that they could see in these guys' lives. And these guys listened to her and two out of the three prayed to receive Christ right there. I think they had a deep sense of their own sinfulness and what they'd done was wrong, and the things they were doing are wrong, and they were disappointed and kind of hating themselves for it. And she, in her gentle, friendly way, opened a door for them to receive Jesus. You see, as the old saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, the land of Palestine, if you could fire up a the the, uh, map, if it's there, the land of Palestine, and I can't do the geography, right? It's a lifetime to be a scholar of these things, but Galilee, you'll see, is up in the north, You'll note the names there. I've been to Tiberias. It's beautiful. You're on kind of a lake. Uh, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. Samaria is in the center. And down in the bottom is Judea where Bethlehem and Jerusalem are. And uh, Jesus' life was lived there. And it's only 120 miles in length. And Samaria is right in the center of it. And if you go through Samaria, Samaria and if you're Jewish you kind of felt a sense of danger. My wife and I live in a certain part of, uh, a certain area that can be a little dangerous. Talk about that another time perhaps. And here, when you went as a Jew through Samaria, and Jesus was going to go, uh, I I believe it was from Galilee uh, down to Judea, he is going to stop at, um, let's see if the name is up here, uh, Shechem, uh, I don't see it quickly and it's not important. He's going to stop there. He's just led by the Spirit in everything that he does. There's this kind of majestic thing that God does to bring us to places. It's only 120 miles, but they were definite divisions of territories. You can see them here. And uh, he goes directly through Samaria. Now, you could end run it. You could go around the river and and double the length of your journey uh, from uh, Galilee to Judea, but he chose to go right into the town. But I, I know that the father chose to send him, and he is the son, to this particular unique place. The journey from Judea to Galilee could be done in three days going via Samaria. The alternative route was to cross the Jordan to go up the eastern side of the river. There was another way to go, but he chose not to. He chose to go directly uh, uh, from Judea, my bad, to Galilee. Now, when Jesus learned in John chapter 4 that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus it was about the sixth hour. That is noon. That was noon. This, this well was um, on a piece of ground that had been bought by the Old Testament figure uh, Jacob. And on Joseph's death uh, in, in Egypt, his body Was taken back to Palestine, and it had been buried somewhere near this segment. This was an area Jesus chose in God's providence to come to that was a point of pride to the Samaritan people. The Samaritan people, a long story short, were were like this. They had been a Jewish people entirely. They were part of, I believe it was the southern kingdom, and they uh, were over and over, fell by the wayside, began to do evil things, and received from the, reaped what their actions, incredibly negative things. Nations would come through. The Medes would come through and capture them. Different kings would come through and grab them. Ultimately, they would take half of the population out and put it in another part of the world at that time. They were separated, and then, so the Jewish people then had people coming in that would not share their view of the one true God. In fact, they were so lawless, in a sense, in their own forms of religion that normally revolved around gross sensuality, and also sacrifices to the extreme of sacrificing, we have little ones here, but people. And uh, if you read James uh, Michener's The Source, he goes back to the time and he describes some of the things going on and, and it will be disturbing. Disturbing. But Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so Samaria was a very likely place to find them. And there was enmity between the Jews And the Samaritans, harshly so, because the Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. Not only half-breeds, irreligious, sensual, and weird. And yet the Samaritans saw that they had certain of the patriarchs within their very territories. And they had created a, a place, a temple on Mount Gerizim to worship their form of God. It was God. It was the Jewish God according to them, but it sure looked differently in what they did and how they lived. And the Jews couldn't stand it, and wars would break out among them. Crucifixions happened as they went through. There was tremendous tension between these two people. There came a woman of Samaria, where Jesus was. We're back to the well now. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now in that time, this particular well called Jacob's well was as best we can tell probably 100 feet deep. And it was common in this very dry and arid land for people, certainly groups, to carry uh, like rope held Buckets, things you would fold up and could unfold and fill with water wherever you went. There's one tale of a historian going to one of these types of wells, and he saw a man actually licking the wet part of the well because things could get so dry and so desperate. And if you didn't have this bucket, what were you to do? And Jesus is at the midday. Now, note this in terms of them being there around noon. If one were to go to get water, generally speaking, you would want to go in the morning, where, When it's cooler, especially to a well that is fed by a form of percolation. There were layers in the ground, and so the water would gather. It wasn't springing up, nothing like that. It wasn't moving. It was just down there somewhere. You dipped your bucket in 10 stories down and brought the thing up. Very difficult, and yet this lady did it all the time. This was her home, it's where she lived. It had been Jesus says to her, give me a drink. <laughs> For his disciples had gone away in this city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, her tone we cannot find. Some commentators will say a lot more was said here, but we can be sure that the Holy Spirit penned that which we need. And we're not sure of the tone, but it is possible that she was not believing this, and, and we can possibly surmise or just guess she's there at midday, not at night when it would be cool and easier to gather the water, nor in the morning, but in the heat of the day when no one would be around, and there may be a reason for that as we follow her life. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me? A woman of Samaria, she is alluding without saying it to the conflict between Jews and Samaritans. For Jews, it says parenthetically, have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I don't know how anyone can copy Jesus. There are actors out here today. I've seen that wonderful one on the on the production that's done out of Texas. And the, the guy who plays Jesus, that's like, it's just beautiful the work that he does. And no matter what he says to you, you, you love him. And I think Jesus asked water and she's looking at him and, and something's going on there. And he says, if you knew the gift of God, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now it's not yet spiritualized here in the sense of it's not yet expanded to what that means, but what we can know as living water was simply a stream of water, moving water, cleansed water, the kind of water anyone would want to drink more than the well buried down at the bottom of that well. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I am probably thinking there's something wrong with this guy. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? She may be thinking that. Here's my guess. When you see Jesus, he changes all categories. You see, love beyond belief and description, and yet the logic of what's going on here, "Give me water in this particular situation," escapes her, especially even though she may see love in him this coming. From a Jew, where do you get that living water, that moving water, that stream of water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us this well, he gave us this well and drank from it himself. Here's religion, friendship. Jesus has reached out. It's not going too well, maybe. But in God's providence and plan, God had seated him at this particular place, in this particular moment, to reach the Samaritan people, those despised by the Jews, but loved by God. You have nothing to draw water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock Oh, she's talking about the religion of the Samaritans, and it gives her a sense of esteem as she describes that particular situation. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water. Welling up to eternal life. He's clearly, clearly talking about something other than natural water. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Maybe she's being um, a little challenging. Maybe she's a little irritated because she doesn't know what she's talking about. And she may be talking about the physical water. There's, there is no stream here. There is no running water. What is this guy talking about? Is he crazy? Sir, give me this water so that I may be thirsty or have to come here. And Jesus said to her, and here's the moment. And this is for you and for me, the, the cool and amazing thing. God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he can do amazing things. And one day, only one time in my life, a man came up to the front of the church. It wasn't this particular church And I knew his name as he was coming up. And I was too insecure to say it. I mean, it had just come to me rather strongly as I'm praying and thinking about things. And I'm like, good gravy. And I said, sir, can you tell me what your name is? And he said the name, it was the name I'd been thinking about. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the most common name in the world. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe it's any number of things. But I'm in prayer, in the spirit, and I know the guy's name. I said, sir, that name was, just came to my heart and mind as you came up here. Now, he is right to dismiss anything that just happened there. But here, no, 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 no. This is, this is perhaps in the same vein, but much more powerful and strange. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, the audacity of the statement, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true." You know, it is kind of normal in the conversion experience, if there is anything normal in the conversion of people from death to life, to have to kind of come to the end of yourself and be confronted with the truth of who you are and the desperation of your condition. My two friends in the car with Mrs. Breckenridge. I think things kind of went through their mind. The the older I get, the more I see how I risk my life in sin, my future, everything. And Jesus looks at this woman and has already offered a gift. He's proposing a transaction. And he knows something. Let's follow. Go home, call your husband. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What, What you have said is true. Click, 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 silence. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He knows the secrets of every man. And it seems that in order to bring her to himself, he shows his hand. The God Almighty in him speaks out of him. Five husbands. We don't know what that means. Is it not somewhat unrealistic to believe they had all died? One would ask serious questions about that in all likelihood. For him to bring that out was to go to the central dark issue of her life, and that he knew it, and he had already offered her living water. He didn't hold the, the, the marriages or the divorces against her, nor did he hold the one who was now living with you as not your husband. I told you, Samaria could be an extremely dark place. And can you imagine having to go through this many husbands and people as those who were to love you and partner with you and protect you and end up with basically no commitment from anyone and not being loved? And this guy talks about cleansing streams. I think that might be attractive. You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman, the woman then said to him, sir, now things have changed. Now something is going on, a transaction that is beyond belief. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, religion, friendship, but now we're at the encounter point. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where uh, people ought to worship. Maybe she wanted to argue the sanctity of the Sumerian viewpoint. Perhaps that's it, but Jesus will have none of it. He simply says, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, meaning the Messiah. Uh, the, The law, the prophets were from the Jewish people. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Something is working in her mind. The spirit of the living God is speaking to her heart. She may not recognize it at all, but she goes right to this place that everyone knows about, that there is a coming king coming to the land that's different beyond. She mentions the spirit. She mentions, in essence, that can lead us to the idea of anointing a king and putting oil all over him. And here it is. I know the Messiah is coming. who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And she's rotating that in her mind, knowing what he just said to her. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The most audacious claim anyone can imagine. He's sitting there in the heat of a day with a woman with a sad testimony and background. Coming to her to impart a gift of grace to her. Friendship interest, religion, encounter. They marveled when the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, who do you seek? What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Forgive me, my fingernails aren't too long to take to change my being. The woman said, can this be the Christ? His disciples came. They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples, the disciples come back to him. I may be missing a page here. I, I don't think so. I just can't turn it. But the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. About. So the disciples said to one another, As anyone brought him something to eat, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. The lady has left. She's gone back to her people to talk to them. The disciples are here and he is giving us all a mandate to spread the fire, to turn up the heat, to bring it, for the fields are white unto harvest. Right now in Northern America, America, certainly right now in our world, right now in this moment, the fields are white unto harvest and they're ready for a reaping. There is something going on. Man is humiliated by his inability, his powerless over the elements. This highly technical democratic society. We can know all things and do all things. We've been broken by it all to some extent. Maybe it's only a limited extent, but I am here to tell you that Jesus has come to give life and that abundant. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I went sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. He told me all that I ever did. You know, my two friends were in that car with a woman who touched the very center of their life, with the love of Jesus. They were in essence the same as this lady by the well who had massive problems and yet he comes to her and in, in, in essence tells her he has a cleansing flow for her. A power that springs from the center out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He knows her inside and out. He knows everything about her and yet treats her as if she had no sin in love and decency and tenderness. My two friends both received Jesus Christ talking to a woman who was full of the fire of the Holy Spirit and had an encounter with her, not in a well, but perhaps in her home. And what happened, at least to one of those boys, he followed close because he knew what he had been forgiven of. This woman runs to her friends because she knows what is happening inside her and she's excited and stirred by this one who is giving her the very words of life. And at the end of the day and the end of what I say, my dear friend Jim, having received Christ, became a proponent and then a preacher of the gospel. He created small groups all over northern Virginia, still does in churches. He became an expert in that as a psychologist and pastor. And right now, one of his sons is the associate pastor at Grace Covenant Church. Another son, two other sons are preaching out on the west coast in a church my son was going to. Just amazing what God has done in terms of expanding his kingdom. Through one man who saw the truth that was in Jesus, that he was lost and undone and needy, came to him, received his cleansing, was filled with his spirit, and become, comes like Christ. A sower and a reaper in a harvest. Do you know him? And do you know people who don't know him? And can you remember the acronym FIRE? Friendship, Interests, Religion, Encounter. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we thank you that you came to a town in God's providence. And that town was turned around and changed. And multitudes of people in that particular area were renewed, refreshed, cleansed, and made whole because of the testimony of one woman whom sin had darkened, and yet Christ's blood, righteousness, and the water of the Holy Spirit cleansed, renewed, made whole, and empowered. Oh Lord, let us in this hour have encounters with people. And Lord, so fill us with your spirit that we hear your voice and know next steps, friendships, interests, religion, encounter.